Dr. Marshall is one of our board members for the Media Project, really a scholar in every sense of the word. He's senior fellow at the Center for Religious Freedom um, with the Hudson Institute. Um, so he is also the Wilson Distinguished Professor of Religious Freedom um, at Baylor University, and he's a research professor in political science. So he's the author and editor of more than 20 books on religion and politics, especially religious freedom. But we're so excited to have him here to share with us today. Welcome, Dr. Marshall. Thank you very much indeed, Melissa. And it's great to see uh, so many old friends and young friends too. Okay, as I want to talk about uh, blasphemy or accusations of blasphemy and other threats to uh, religious freedom. It's very much in the news right now. Um, last week, Samuel Patti, a French middle school teacher, was beheaded in the street in a suburb of Paris. Why? Because he'd shown his class some of what were often called the Muhammad cartoons uh, in the uh, French magazine, Charlie Hebdo. So this has uh, led, as in previous occasions, to international incidents, particularly because um, French President Macron uh, was unusually outspoken, called it a um, Islamist terrorist attack, and uh, he, the teacher was killed for teaching children freedom of speech. This has led to boycotts of French products in the Middle East. This all happened in 2005 with the Danish cartoons. Uh, criticisms from the president of Pakistan, President Erdogan of uh, Turkey insulted Macron. France has withdrawn its ambassador. One could go on and on. These events are reminiscent of many similar ones in recent decades, but I fear all too often um, we forget about them and we fail to see the patterns which exist. I want to talk about those patterns. Uh, in a book which I and Nina Shea published a while back called Silenced, we looked at accusations of blasphemy um, worldwide. Uh, we covered about 36 countries and several thousand incidents. Um, these are the patterns we find. Firstly, that restrictions on blasphemy and similar terms now often developed in the West, like hate speech and so forth, um, are very widespread. They're used in a lot of settings. Um, I'll find them Russia, Netherlands, Poland, Germany, India, Sri Lanka. So they exist in many parts of the world. And if you actually check laws on the books, um, the criminalization of defaming religion, such laws are actually most widespread in Europe, more so than anywhere else in the world. But in most cases, they are not used and haven't been used in, in half a century. In some places, Russia, they have been, but by and large, while the laws are on the books, nothing is happening. But if instead of who has a law written down, if we look at the number of cases and the much more widespread private attacks, that is the government doesn't go after you, but a terrorist does or a mob, uh, this is most pre prevalent in the Muslim majority world, especially the greater Middle East. 
this tremendous variation, as we know. But here are five recurring patterns. First, the events that get tend to get the most international attention. You may remember the famous Danish cartoons in the newspaper Yale and Postman in 2005, or American pastor Terry Jones threatening to burn a Koran, the attacks on the French magazine Charlie Hebdo, and now recently the beheading of Samuel Paty. Um, these get the news, and they should, but they are atypical. They're unusual in terms of what is going on with blasphemy in the world. Secondly, the accusations are often vague. Here's a partial list for which people have been arrested or killed. Insulting Islam, hurting Muslims' feelings, insulting a heavenly religion, propagation of spiritual liberalism, imitating Christians. Uh, we, we collect about 50 or 60 of such accusations, and most have no clear definition. And the rest of this presentation, I'm just going to use the word blasphemy for all of them. Um, could be officially insulting religion, could be apostasy and so on. But I'll use the term blasphemy as a catch-all term for these types of accusations. So the terminology, the accusations are vague. Thirdly, they're often politically manipulated. I mentioned the Danish cartoon affair. Uh, if you ask people about that, you'd say, what happened when uh, in September 2005, a Danish newspaper published mainly pretty harmless cartoons, uh, one of which depicted Islam's prophet Muhammad. And people say, well, there were riots, there were demonstrations, there were boycotts, international incidents. All this is true. But they didn't take place in 2005. They took place in 2006. When the cartoons actually came out, nothing much happened. It was only after Saudi Arabia, at a conference of the Islamic Conference, uh, called for making this an issue that activities took place. And there were riots in Nigeria, there were in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, and people were killed. And there was intense political lobbying. In other cases, there were the Swedish cartoons by Lars Wilkes. They produced almost no protest, nor did Geert Wilders' film, uh, Dutch politician Geert Wilders' film, Fitna. So we find out that many of the attacks are not spontaneous religious outrage. It's not that someone does something that someone else sees as blasphemous and then is, is angered and responds but result from political manipulation. When you get an international incident, there are usually some governments trying to get advantage out of it. This doesn't mean it's not religious. It, it's both political and religious. Unless people had religious outrage, you could never politically manipulate it. You can't politically manipulate religion unless religion's important. So it's usually both. But what I would say, and this is also true with the uh, present spat between France and Turkey and others, uh, there's political gain at stake. Fourth, while governments can be very bad, the greatest danger 
of an accusation of blasphemy is not the government, but society, mobs, vigilantes, and terrorists. If you take the example of Pakistan, Pakistan has very restrictive uh, blasphemy laws, but nobody has been executed in Pakistan for blasphemy in the modern age. But hundreds of people have died. Oh, they're, they're killed by mobs, they're killed in prison. People have been shot to death uh, coming out of a courtroom where they've been acquitted of blasphemy. And fifth, most accusations are not against Western cartoonists or writers or clergy. Most occur within the Muslim majority world and are usually accusations against Muslims, especially minorities and moderates. So to summarize those, those five trends, the big international incidents are atypical. The accusations um, are vague. Uh, they occur mainly against um, Muslims and uh, are usually politically, often politically motivated. Uh, who tend to be the victims? Four major categories, again. One is, I'll just call them post-Islamic religions. I'm not sure that's a good word, probably isn't. But Baha'is or Ahmadiyya Muslims. A second category is um, people, converts, apostates, unbelievers. A third category is Sunni Muslims or Shia or Sufis when they are in the minority. And fourthly, Muslim religious and political reformers. For post-Islamic beliefs, Baha'is and Ahmadis are often accused of saying there was another prophet after um, at Muhammad, and therefore they are contradicting and criticizing Islam and suffer very widespread persecution. In Iran, there is no penalty, legal penalty for killing a Baha'i. In Pakistan, Ahmadiyya cannot even call themselves Muslim. The Baha'i leadership in Iran, um, seven principal leaders uh, in prison and likely to be there for another eight years. Actual apostates, people that, that leave Islam, they become unbelievers, atheists, or convert to Christianity or some other uh, religion. Um, these four, again, in Iran, um, sentenced for 10 years for evangelism, but they are themselves uh, converts uh, from Islam. Uh, that's one of the principal reasons they have been imprisoned. Um, often the victims are falsely or mistakenly accused. It's a couple in Pakistan, Shami Bibi and Shajad Masi, uh, were burned to death and uh, by a mob because of a false accusation of blasphemy. They weren't tried, they weren't convicted. Someone said they blasphemed, and so they, a mob killed them. Another one, Shabazz Bhatti, the highest ranking Christian in the Pakistan government. He was minister for minorities. Uh, he was shot to death um, for opposing the blasphemy law. Uh, another case, Ahak. Um, that, that's his nickname, um, Ahok. Uh, the then Christian governor of Jakarta, the capital of uh, Indonesia, was falsely accused of blasphemy 
a person doctored a video of him for it and was sentenced to two years imprisonment. So he's now out and actually head of the Indonesian major national oil company. So a third category, Muslims of the wrong type. That is, you're a minority type of Muslim. If you're a Sunni Muslim, for example, in Iran, which is majority Shia, or you're a Shia Muslim in Egypt or Malaysia, which is majority Shia, you can suffer persecution. Uh, for Sufis, more mystical type of Muslims, um, there's often a crackdown on them in uh, Iran. And then Muslim religious and political reformers. I'm going to spend more time on them because in many ways they are key to everything else. And when they are silenced, it suppresses debate, dissent and renewal in the Muslim majority world. Just a few examples. Um, Ali Mohakek Nassab, he is an uh, Afghan journalist, uh, editor of a magazine, uh, actually called Women's Rights, but this is Afghanistan, so the editor was male. Uh, but his magazine published it in the case where a convert to Christianity in Afghanistan had been sentenced to death. His magazine published an article saying, does Islam really mandate that we kill apostates and stone adulterers? They asked that question. For that, he was accused of blasphemy and subsequently imprisoned. And his particular case was an eye-opener for me, one of the main reasons I got interested in the subject. Because I realized you cannot deal with the killing of converts, the killing of adulterers, unless you can discuss it. If the topic is off limits, it cannot be changed. And so when someone raises the question as imprisoned for it, you cannot do anything about the other issues. And that's why I regard this question of blasphemy as central. It's the blocking point to discussing a whole host of other problems. It forbids discussion. And if you can't discuss problems, you can't do anything about them. One other example, Mohsen Kadavar, an Iranian, he published a three volume uh, dense work called The Theory of the State in Shiite Jurisprudence, um, which criticized the government's view and he was accused of blasphemy and imprisoned. Uh, this it happens not only in Pakistan or Egypt or Iran, uh, in the West, just one example of many. Ikin Delegos, the first Muslim member of parliament in Germany. She has to travel with bodyguards because she has criticized the status of women in many of the Muslim communities in, in Germany. And there are other examples. Uh, not only Muslims in the West, but non-Muslims. Here's a photograph from the Al-Qaeda magazine, Inspire. Um, George, you're going to read it, but it says, yes, we can. A bullet a day keeps the infidel away. And the various pictures, uh, the Dutch politician, Kiet Wilders, the Swedish cartoonist, Lars uh, Vilks, 
Fleming Rose, publisher of the Allen Poston uh, newspaper, Salman Rushdie, um, many others, and um, a, a cartoonist journalist, uh, Molly Moore, also on the death list here. So talked about particular accusations against people, people who are suffered or are threatened because of their stance. But of course, the wider pattern is not the people who are directly attacked, uh, but the people who watch what happens. You're a journalist and a fellow journalist writes a, a story which could be interpreted usually falsely as blasphemous and is threatened or killed. Uh, Molly Norris, the car American cartoonist I mentioned, she went into hiding, witness protection, she had to have a change of identity. Um, if you're a cartoonist, what cartoons are you going to write? If you're a journalist, what stories are you going to cover? And I know many of you face threats from this and from many other things, but it produces a pattern where certain things are not discussed. It can happen even in you know, normal everyday affairs, not necessarily violence or anything. The New York Times in 2014 wrote a story about a statue of Muhammad that had been on top of the major courthouse at Madison Avenue and 25th Street. So it was an article about a statue of Muhammad, but the Times refused to show a photograph of the statue. Amazing. Uh, just a counterexample, by the way, when people say there aren't portrayals of uh, Muhammad around, uh, this is the uh, US Supreme Court building. Uh, Muhammad is shown on the frieze at the top there um, as one of the world's major lawgivers. Particularly when uh, you're targeting Muslim reformers or dissidents, one of the major effects of this self-censorship is suppressing debate and renewal within Islam itself. Just some examples. Uh, this is Salman Tazir. Uh, he was the uh, governor of Punjab in Pakistan, a Muslim. Uh, Punjab covers almost half of Pakistan. He defended uh, Asia Bibi, a Christian woman accused of blasphemy. And he opposed um, Pakistan's blasphemy laws and called for them to re be repealed. So he defended someone and criticized a law. For that, he was killed by one of his bodyguards as a blasphemer. That is, opposing the law itself was being treated privately as illegal. And at Hudson Institute, his daughter in a speech said, this is a warning to every liberal, that is everybody who believes in freedom and free speech, shut up or be shot. The late Abdullah Wahid, former president of Indonesia, and former president of Nadatul Ulama, the world's largest Muslim organizations. Wahid wrote the foreword to the book I mentioned, which I'm summarizing, uh, called Silence. Um, he wrote a very good foreword called God Need no, Needs No Defense. And in it, he argues that blasphemy laws and accusations narrow the bounds of acceptable discourse, not only about religion, but about vast spheres of life, literature, science, and culture in general. Uh, to conclude, 
I would emphasize, particularly when we're, we're uh, talking amongst journalists, we need to resist such restrictions as much as we can. When politics and religion are intertwined, as they necessarily are in debates about blasphemy, then unless you're allowed religious debate and dissent, there can be no political debate and dissent. Unless we're allowed religious disagreement, there can be no political disagreement allowed. Thank you very much indeed. Right. Thank you so much, Dr. Paul Marshall. That's great. Okay. So we want to be sensitive to time. It's um, just time for the session to come to an end, but we look forward to seeing you again, same time tomorrow for our final session here. On- the Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is part of the Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or the Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.